Congregation, our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Timothy 6, the verses 3 to 16. Let's read and hear the word. There the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. The text for the sermon this morning is taken from verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith, Lay hold on eternal life. So the first part of this verse, specifically. Let us uh, sing, congregation, after the proclamation of the word of God. Psalter number 73, the verses 5 and 6. Uh, but I read in the bulletin, we first have the prayer on the word after the sermon. And then after that, we sing Psalter number 73, 5 and 6. <clears throat> Beloved congregation, sports are very popular in our days. Soccer, or hockey, or other sports. Every four years, there are the Olympic Games, 
athletes across the world strive for the gold. It is their one goal. Maybe you are not interested in sports. You may still like to watch a game. But participating in it yourself, that's out of question. No matter what, we all hear about it all the time. Now, why am I saying this? You will find out in a minute. It has everything to do with the text of this morning. Let us turn to it, praying that the Holy Spirit will help us to grasp the truth of it and apply it to our own lives. The theme of the sermon is fight and lay hold of. There are two points here. The first is fight, the good fight of faith. And the second one, lay hold of eternal life. Now, the Apostle Paul has labored in Ephesus a long time, three years in total. In his farewell message, he warned them, among other things, against false teachers. When he left Ephesus, he appointed Timothy to continue the work he had started. And that was not an easy task for Timothy. In this letter, Paul exhorts him to be faithful. After Paul left, indeed, false teachers did come and preached a different gospel. They sought to draw the people away from Christ. They started disputes and arguments. But as Paul is saying, it only leads to strife and contention. It does not build up. Their ultimate purpose is to serve themselves. These men, Paul is saying, are greedy. They are after gain. And this way they fall into a snare and drown in destruction and perdition. The apostle calls Timothy to escape this snare. Instead, he has to strive for righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Strive. Pursue this goal. That means you have to, to exert yourself. And this connection, Paul is writing this. Fight the good fight of faith. This way, he points Timothy to the heart of the matter. Faith. Faith is the root of all Christian virtues. If there is faith, the other will follow. If there is no faith, there can be no Christian life at all. Faith is pictured here as a fight. Now, what's the similarity? Let us look into that closer. We're not th to think in this connection of a fight as a battle in war. A combat between soldiers. The image Paul is using here is a competition. The metaphor is derived from the world of sports. The word Paul is using, literally translated, is agony. It is a struggle. In the ancient world of the Greeks and the Romans, people were fond of competitions in the stadiums 
All sorts of competitions were held, wrestling, throwing the javelin, discus throwing, horse races, running races, and others. The apostle especially has the last one in mind, running a race in a race track. This is a favorite metaphor of Paul. He used it also in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, with regard to himself. I will read this verse. There the apostle says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there he applies it to himself. Now, to the early Christians, this was a well-known picture. They lived in a world of sports. One said, if you give the people bread and games, they'll be happy. Christians had grown up in this world. They were familiar with it. Before their conversion, probably that was their life also. They were totally involved in it. It's striking, isn't it, that Paul is using sport terms. The use of this metaphor does neither mean approval or disapproval of sports as such. He uses it to explain what faith is about. Sport as such is not bad. The evil is not in physical exercise. Playing hockey or volleyball or soccer or any sport is healthy. It's good for body and mind. It's wrong, however, when this is all what life is about. Then it becomes an idol. And that's what it is, what it is to many people in our days. So the metaphor of a racetrack was well known to the readers of Paul's epistles and, and also to Timothy. The point of comparison is this, that professional athletes are practicing constantly, every day for hours and hours. The life of faith is exactly the same. It's all around. You cannot be a believer as a side activity. If you want to be a Christian and to live a Christian life, you must practice all day and every day. It should be our main thing, our main focus. This is not easy. Practicing righteousness in a world of sin, exercising love in a world of hatred, living a godly life in the midst of ungodly people, persevering in the midst of trial, being meek when we suffer for Christ's sake and not trying to get even with the other. From a human point of view, everything is against us. Satan is trying hard to entangle us in his snares. The world can tempt also and threaten us. And most of all, the biggest enemy is inside ourselves. 
sin, greed. The desire to have more and more is within every believer. Moreover, we are weak in ourselves. We easily give in to fear, are soon ready to give up. It's a daily struggle, isn't it? Yet apart from that similarity, there is a big difference with sports. In the world of sport, it is all about human strength. A healthy body, physical condition, and human achievement. In the race of faith, however, we meet people that would be disqualified, that are discarded in the eyes of the world. We meet sick people, weak men and women, people with so many shortcomings, people that are, that are limited physically or mentally. They are in general not the powerful, wealthy and influential people of the world. Yes, the world looks at them as poor and wretched. Their outward weaknesses, however, are not a hindrance in a spiritual sense. They can even be a help in this way that they teach them to rely on strength outside of themselves, on God's strength. Such a person, for instance, was Paul, the apostle. Many of the Corinthians, they looked down upon him. He was a, a weak man in their view, not a glorious orator or a great speaker. In answer to that, Paul says, oh, that's true. I have many weaknesses. There's not much that I can boast of in myself. But when I am weak, I am mighty. For Christ has said to me, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Beloved, can you relate to that? And some of you may be sick or suffering. Sometimes you feel down and in the dumps. Feeble in body and mind. You fall short in so many things. You're not the perfect person you would like to be. Perhaps comparing yourself with others, you think you are a total failure. But that's not true. The fight is not about what you can do or achieve. It's not about human performance. It is about what Christ can do in you. He has run the race. Read Hebrews 12, the first verses. The same metaphor is used of a race there. Christ leads the way. And all others follow. Let me read these first verses. The apostle or whoever the author is of the letter to the Hebrews, he says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance 
the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He resisted all contradiction from sinful men. Wherefore, beloved, lay aside all burden and sin, and let us run the race, looking and unto Jesus. When we are ready to give up, he is there to encourage us. He pours strength into the weak. It's a good fight. Because Christ is always there with his sustaining grace. He supports our faith. There's still another thing here in the text. The second, Paul continues and says, lay hold of eternal life. For there is a price to be gained. Runners in the race strive for the price. There's only one trophy. So everyone is running to have it. Now, the apostle applies it also to the spiritual life, to the life of faith, when he says, lay hold of eternal life. The price of the race of faith is nothing short of that. And so Paul encourages Timothy, do not go for anything short of eternal life. This is exactly what you will gain if you finish the race. This is the reward you will receive. Now, earthly trophies wither. Worldly glory will pass. But the gift of eternal life will never pass. You should realize here two things. The first is, the reward is of grace. It's not the reward of our running. We are time and again reminded that we are poor runners. If it is not for grace, we will not make it to the end. Ready to halt is our nature. Easily turned aside. Eternal life is a gift earned by Christ. And it is in no proportion to our running no one can claim eternal life as a deserved reward. A gift is a gift. You'll get it freely. Not because you run so well, but because God is so gracious and so good. In the end, God will be honored and praised for his matchless grace. Oh, how gracious the Lord is. Can't you agree with that? Now, the second thing here that we should consider is that the prize in, in the race is received by all who run. There's no competition in that sense that only one is rewarded. Yes, we should run as if there were one prize. But at the same time, we may be comforted by the promise 
that all runners will be equally rewarded. This is a most comforting thought, isn't it? There are many others that are better runners than I. I sometimes feel that I will be the last one that will cross the line. Should that discourage me? No way. I will receive the prize also. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. In, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, I read verse 7, but let us also read verse 8. And he says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearance. You and I are called to lay hold of it. Just as Timothy was. Perhaps you are puzzled by this expression, lay hold of eternal life. It sounds like we can grab it. And people that grab, usually they are, they are selfish and greedy. They care little about others. To lay, to lay hold of something, it sometimes has a negative connotation. However, in this context, it is very positive. Just think of the runners in the race. They see the crown already before them. And they stretch out their hands, as it were, in order to lay hold of it. That positive meaning is intended here. But you may object. We do not lay hold of anything, do we? Because it has been given to us. And it sounds so contradictory to lay hold of something that is a pure gift. Well, it is true. It's given to us. That's what the apostle teaches everywhere in his letters. Salvation is totally the work of God from the beginning to the end. And even our faith is a gift of God, the Holy Spirit. And yet, lay hold of it. Do not play out the one truth against the other. What Paul is saying is this. When you are laid hold of by Christ, you yourself will also lay hold of things. This is pointed out by Paul in his letter to the Philippians. There he, he points to the very same thing. I'll read that for you. In Philippians 3, verse 12. You may read along, of course, in your own Bible. Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So the one truth does not negate the other. 
we are laid hold of in order that we ourselves will lay hold of. Are you a grabber already? Our sin is that, that we go for the temporal things more than for the eternal things. Many people today say, I do not know what comes after death, so why should I worry about a world to come which I cannot see? This life here and now is what I live for. Oh, just think of Esau, who sold his birthright to Jacob precisely for this reason. He did not care about the heritage, about, the, about eternal life. He was a man of this world. Now that is a sad condition, for it is one of the two. You either live for this life or for the life to come. You cannot have both. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon stands for money and all the wealth and all the pleasures of this world. We are fools if we live only for the here and now. Oh, for grace to live and to long for the life to come, to give up everything for Christ's sake. The apostle reminds Timothy further on in this verse of two things. I briefly mentioned them, and they may be helpful for us as well to be reminded of. First thing is eternal life to which you were also called. Paul points Timothy to his calling. That is the gospel call. When the apostle came to Lystra, the town where Timothy lived, one of his hearers was the young Timothy. He was the son of Eunice and grandson of Lois. They were Jews who had brought him up in the faith of the God of Israel. But they did not know yet about the coming of Christ into the world. When the apostle preached the gospel to them of Jesus Christ, they believed and they surrendered their lives to him. Now, that happened also to Timothy. They became Christians. And isn't that the way in which the Lord still works? It's by the gospel preaching that we are called to faith in Christ. Just by that simple preaching of the gospel. And whoever believes may be assured of eternal life. Oh, you become a runner in the race, laying hold of eternal life. How a blessing it is when the Holy Spirit so turns our hearts to the Lord that we become believers. Praise God for it. And if you are not yet, today God is calling you. The requirement is not if you yourself are fit and able to run, that you trust in your own strength. All God is asking is that you trust in the grace and the power of Christ. He will enable you by His Spirit 
to do that which you are not able to do yourself. Well, it sounds like here there remains little to glory in ourselves. Indeed, all glory belongs to God. So that's the one thing Timothy is reminded of. He is called to eternal life. And there's a second reminder. Timothy has confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He did not keep silent about his faith. He was not ashamed to openly confess Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He did so in the presence of many witnesses, others that had also come to faith in Christ. In that regard, he looked like our Lord himself. He witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate when he stood before his tribunal. And Jesus was not ashamed to confess that he is indeed the Son of God and the King of the world. It sounded ridiculous standing there before his earthly judge as a man with a crown of thorns on his head and his hands tied. But it is true, and in due time he will appear on the clouds of heaven as the judge of heaven and earth. Now, making confession of faith meant for Timothy that he confessed Jesus as his Lord and Savior. It's still the same today. You may have made confession of faith already. Do you still remember that moment? It may be good to remember the text you were given at that confession. Does it still stand? Does the word of God still stand? Does your confession still stand? The word of God will stand forever. We are called to fight the good fight of faith. To lay hold of eternal life. Looking unto Jesus. Amen.